something, won't it? That's right. Uh, do me a favor. Take out your Bibles. That's right. I said Bibles. Or your Bible app, but it's a little bit harder to do this with your Bible app. Turn to Matthew chapter 5. Put a finger in there. Turn to Romans chapter 3. Put a finger in there. And turn to Luke chapter 10. Anybody need me to repeat that? Matthew chapter 5. Everybody say, got it. it. Romans chapter 3. Everybody got it? it. Luke chapter 10. I won't give you the fourth one. We'll just just play that one on the cuff there. So those are our main texts today, and we're going to be spending some time in there. Let me pray for us, and then we'll get started. God, we love you so much, and as we said before, there is nothing more important than you and meeting with you in this place. Uh, help us to soak in your word. This is, this, is a, this is a message that cuts me deeply, um, as I'm sure it does many other people. Uh, so help us to humble ourselves enough to understand and soak in what you have to say in this place today, God. Use me however you see fit. Let the words be yours and take me out of the picture so that you are the only one who has seen God. We love you so much and we pray all this in Jesus' name and together as a church. We'll say amen. amen. If you're at home, type amen for us. Uh, we've been in this series, if you've been with us, uh, called Chasing Carrots. Um, basically about our human need, our human whatever, uh, to be in this endless pursuit of more of more stuff, of more things, of more whatever it is that we try to fill our lives with. And the reason that we're here is because if we're off chasing things, whatever that fill-in-the-blank is that it is for you, it's really hard to be chasing Jesus. If we're filling our lives with all the stuff over here, it's really hard to be filling our lives with Jesus. And the first week we talked about the pursuit of fame. Last week we talked about the pursuit of money. I got all up in your business with your stuff and your money. And this week... We're talking about the endless pursuit of perfection. And uh, i got to tell you, um, as I started researching and writing and digging into this sermon, uh, the more I went and the more I wrote, the more I realized that I was preaching to myself. Um, if you know me, if you've been around Hope Springs Church for a little while, Uh, or if you maybe haven't even been around Hope Springs Church for a little while, you might know that I have been known in my life to pursue a little bit of perfection. I have been known in my life to be a little bit of a control freak, just a little. I have been, (laughs) I love you guys too. Thank you for your kind support. Thank you for your kind support. But it's true. It's absolutely true. I am a recovering control freak, and I am seriously working on that. I really am. But, you know, I I just kind of have always lived my life like if you're going to, you know, uh, I I need to plan. I I got this plan in my head. It's got like 27 steps. And if every step gets executed exactly the way it's supposed to be, on exact time frame it's supposed to be, at the exact right minute, in the exact right way, then when we get to the end of it, everything will be perfect. I don't know why I'm like that. Maybe it's because all my life, my father would always tell me, if you're going to do something, you might as well do it right. The funny thing about that, however, though, 
<laughs> my dad, love my dad. He would start a project at home and do everything except like the baseboards. He would start a project at home and there'd be like one hole in the ceiling that he just never patched. You know, this was my dad. He would say, if you're going to do it, do it right. But then he was like not so great at that. But there are, you know, I am a perfectionist. I am a control freak. There are places when we built out this church, I had this whole vision in my head. It was like great. And you guys did a great and amazing job. But because of time frames and, you know, trying to polish the turd that this was before it became a church. Y'all remember that, right? Yes, we do. Piles of dirt and piles of drywall and piles of insulation and piles of metal studs. There are still places in here that I look at and I'm like, I can't look because it's not right. I can't look because it's not perfect. Now, you guys probably don't notice any of those things, but I see every stinking one of them. That's just how I'm wired. And maybe you're wired the same way. I don't know. Maybe you are one of those people who hold yourselves to a higher standard. Maybe you hold yourself to a perfect standard. Maybe you have unrealistic expectations of yourself or what you're doing or maybe even other people. And it's so odd, right? It's so odd because when your kids mess up, when your kids come home and they got like a C on their spelling test or your friends mess up, make some mistake, we don't sit there. We don't like come at them and we'd be like, well, you just should have been a little bit more perfect. You just should have prepared a little bit more. I mean, if you had studied another three hours instead of playing the video games, you probably would have gotten an A. We don't do that. What do we say? We say, it's okay. Nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. You tried your best. You did your best. And yet, if you're like me, when we mess up, we beat ourselves up. Sometimes that causes us to have severe feelings of shame. Sometimes it causes us to have severe feelings of anxiety. Sometimes it causes us to go to this place where we're like, I'm just not good enough. I'm not worthy enough. I'm less than. And if you suffer from that endless pursuit of perfection much, don't become a Christian. I'm telling you what, do not become a Christian because Jesus goes off and starts saying things like this. Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. Jesus says, be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect, Thank you, Jesus, for confirming what I knew was always right. No pressure there. Jesus says, be perfect as your father is perfect. No pressure whatsoever. We live in this world where it's a constant strive for the best and to be at least on the outside looking better, especially parents with young kids. I, I, I remember having young kids, and it was different then. Now, it, let me tell you what, it is off the chain because we got all this influence from outside that, you know, when you're a parent of young kids, you've got to have this Pinterest-worthy home. It's got to look a certain way. It's got to smell a certain way. It's got to be clean. Not only that, but you've got to have Instagram-worthy looks to go along with it. You know, I'm, I'm guaranteeing you that some of those people are taking pictures of themselves on a green screen and putting somebody else's house behind it. That's what they're doing. It's all fake. But then you got to take your kids to the zoo. You got to make the crafts. You got to have a birthday party. Let me tell you what, birthday parties are off the chain nowadays. When I was a kid, birthday parties, by the way, my birthday is Wednesday, so there's still time to buy me a present. Do, do not spend more than $50 or $100. I pr please do not, do not, do not spend more than $50 or $100. I, you know, I'll be here Tuesday between 6.30 and 8.30. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. 
I'm kidding. But birthday parties when I was a kid, because all my, my father, my grandfather, and my birthday were all within 10 days of each other, all right around Thanksgiving. This was my birthday party. A turkey and a cake. Everybody sitting around smoking cigarettes, singing happy birthday with an ashtray on the table right next to the cake. That was a birthday party at my house. Now, man, if you're not spending $1,000 on your kid's birthday party, you have failed. True? It's true. And then you got laundry, and you got the baths, and you got to read a little book, got to sing a little singy song, you got your honeydew list to take care of, you got your career to take care of, and maybe if you're lucky, you get to spend some time with God, and then you got homework, because they always come at like 10 o'clock at night and say, Mom, I forgot this, or the cupcakes, right? I'm supposed to take in three dozen cupcakes tomorrow, Mom. They wake you up out of bed. Then you got to work out, because if you're going to have the Instagram-worthy body, you got to work out at least, you know, three, four times a week. And then you got your hobby. And let me tell you what, if you're going to chase that kind of perfection, you better save some time to snap a few pictures that you can post on your own social media account. At the end of it, you end up something like this. Right? But it's not just parents. This affects everybody, especially, you know, uh, we talked about this a uh, couple of weeks ago that, that the, young guy, the young guys and girls, school age, high school, college kids have more stress in their lives now to, to be more and do more, right? They're, they're like, I'm worried about my GPA, and if I don't get in the, the right GPA, I'm not going to get in the right school, and if I'm not going to get in the right school, I'm not going to have the right job, and if I don't have the right job, I'm not going to find the right mate, and if I don't have the right mate, well, then I'm going to be like a hobbit in the corner all my life, and if I don't take the right classes, and then we do the all-night study, and we're worried about acing the exam and SATs. I didn't even know an SAT score could go up to 1,600. I was like 1,000. I was good. I think you get that for putting your name on the test, by the way. 850? Solidarity, brother! It got me into community college. That's all I was worried about. It's all you need. Nobody is exempt. Maybe we in this world, in the year 2023, have a problem with pursuing a little bit of perfection. It's not just a parent problem. It's not just a young kid's problem. It's not just a teen and youth problem. It is a most of us problem, if we're honest, if we're honest with ourselves. And I live in this world, and I've lived in this world for a long time. And maybe you do too. Maybe you do too. Maybe you're one of those people who has those unrealistic expectations of yourself and unrealistic expectations of the circumstances around you. You have to be your best. You have to do your best. You have to try your best at everything. Maybe it even allows you or forces you to avoid trying new things because you don't want to mess up. You don't want to do it not the right way. You don't, you don't want to be wrong. And then don't criticize me because let me tell you what, you get all up in my grill about how I'm always got to be perfect. That doesn't that doesn't go over well. We obsess about too many things, and then we become inefficient and ineffective at everything we do. And the sad part is, is we know it hurts us. We know it's not good. We know it's not right, but something inside of us, if you're like me, just, just, just pushes us to keep getting back on that treadmill, getting back on that wheel and pursuing it over and over and over and over again, just trying to be perfect in everything we do. Did you know, this is interesting, um, most of us think of perfection as one way, right? We, we try to be perfect. We try to pursue perfection. There are actually three types of perfectionists. 
And I just thought this was interesting, just to let you guys know, because you might be sitting here thinking, well, I'm not one of those people who chases perfection in my life, but maybe you're one of these people. There is the self-oriented perfectionist, right? That is the person like me who just strives to do the best and, and the best job and always do it right and plan it out and, and control everything and make sure that everything comes out just exactly the way you want because that comes from inside me. I have high expectations of myself. And that's the way most of us think about the term perfectionism. But there's also the externally oriented perfectionist. And this is where we come to this belief. Uh, there's two sides of this. We either believe that other people expect us to be perfect, or we believe that other people have a very low uh, thought of us, that, that they think less of us. So that drives us to try to do better and more and more. We have a low, uh, you know, picture of, a low picture of what they're thinking, or we think they expect us to be perfect. And then there's the others-oriented perfectionist. And this is the one that gets kind of dangerous because this is where we expect everyone around us to be perfect, but we don't hold ourselves to the same standard. Some of us grew up with parents like that. Some of us may have friends like that. Some of us may be that, if we're honest with ourselves. But what I want to talk about today is the spiritual side of perfectionism because this Pursuit of perfection sounds like a psychological problem. And at some level, it is. At some level, it is all about our head and our thinking and the way our brains are wired. But at its root, at its root, this pursuit of perfection is a spiritual problem. It's a spiritual problem because perfection really means it's, it's, it's this perfect mask to cover something. It's this perfect mask for covering our insecurities or, or how we think other people think about us or the fact that we uh, maybe may not be so good over here, so I'm going to be really, really good over here. Perfectionism covers our fears, but it's also a covering for sin. We get to this point where we're like, if I can just get a 4.0 GPA, then I'll be good enough. If I can single-handedly remodel my bathroom. I'll be good enough. If I can make 27 steps come out to the exact way I want it to, I'll be good enough. If I can make sure that everything works the way it's supposed to, then I'll be good enough. And all we're doing is covering up our inadequacy and our sin. Perfection is a spiritual problem covering our sinfulness and insecurity, and it goes all the way back to Adam and Eve, right? Adam and Eve. God said, don't eat from that tree. That tree right there in the middle. You can have everything else, but don't eat from that one. You have one job, Adam and Eve, one job. And so what they do, they let the tempter, Satan, tempt them. They said, okay, let's eat from this tree. And what happened when they ate from that tree? That tree was called the tree of knowledge or the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Up until that point, Adam and Eve's lives were paradise. Up until that point, Adam and Eve's lives were utopia. All they knew was good. Goodness all around because that's all they got. They were designed to be in perfect communion with God. But once they ate that, they knew that there was a problem. They knew what wrong was. They knew what evil was. And so what did they do? The first thing they did was they decided that God wants to see us a certain way, so I'm going to cover myself. It's a problem that goes way back to the first man and woman. So what do we do? 
What do we do about this pursuit of perfectionism? If at its root it's a spiritual problem, then we probably need a spiritual solution, wouldn't you say? Spiritual solution. Paul writes this in Romans chapter 3. This kind of sets up our, our uh, solution here. In Romans chapter 3, verse 20, Paul writes this to the church in Rome. He starts out and he says, For no one, no one, not me, not you, not the doctor that you go see every day, not the guy with $5 million in his bank, not the person who drives three Mercedes Benz, no one, no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. Now, you might be saying, Chris, we're not talking about the law here. We're talking about our strive and our pursuit of perfectionism. But think about it this way. Back in that day, if they followed the law, this was the belief. If they followed the law, if they were perfect in following the law, they believed that would make them right with God. That would make them right with God. We have our own law, though. We may not have theirs, but we have our own plans that we fill up every day. We have our own schedules that we keep. So I've seen some of you guys' schedule books. It's like color-coded, and there's like not a block of time in there, right? I see Marie laughing. She's, she's probably one of those people. I don't have one of those schedules, by the way. It's all in my head, and that you don't want to go in there. We keep a schedule. Every 15 minutes, every 15 minutes, we got planned out what's going on. Or the right filter. I got to look perfect for the world, so I'm make sure that I choose the right filter. I got the right Bible reading plan. It's perfect. It tells me how to read a chapter of the Bible in 365 days. I cannot fail. Got the perfect Bible reading plan. We got calendars. We got self-talk. We got all these things that we cling to that are supposed to make us better and righter and good. But on our own, you cannot be perfect enough for God. Everybody glad you came in today? Welcome to Hope Springs Church. We try to make everybody feel good. That's what Paul says. If, if perfectionism is a covering for our inadequacy and we believe that our effort can get us somewhere close to God, we're wrong. Nothing we do can get us close to God. We can never be perfect enough for God. Paul says, the only reason we have the law is to show us how sinful we are. That word sin, we don't like it in this, this day and age, but that word sin is literally translated from a phrase that means miss the mark. Miss the mark. If the law shows us how far off the mark we are, then our efforts should do exactly the same thing. When we try to fill those calendars to make ourselves perfect, when we try to have a 27-step plan to get to the perfect end, all it shows us is how miserable we fail most of the time. But it doesn't just show us that. It also shows us that we need something more. It also shows us that we are in desperate need of grace and mercy. Every one of us. Every one of us. And so often we get tired and we just give up. The Pharisees had 613 laws, 613 laws. They believed if you followed every one, you would be perfect. James says if you even break just one of them, you are guilty of breaking all of them. We don't follow 613 laws in God's word. We kind of try to stick to the Ten Commandments. 
How y'all doing with that? I can tell you how I'm doing. Do not lie. Fail. Honor the Sabbath day. Fail. Do not use the Lord's name in vain. Now, I don't do that much anymore, but there was a day. Fail. Do not covet. Fail. Every one of us. Don't tell me you've never looked at somebody's stuff on Facebook and said, man, I wish I had that. I wish I had their life. I wish I had what they had. We all do it. Do not steal. Fail. And we just get so tired of that, that constant striving, constant striving to, to be perfect that we're like, I'm going to give up. And culture is no help at all. Culture has almost eliminated the word sinner from its vocabulary. Have you noticed that? We don't call sin sin anymore. We don't call that what it is. What we do is we say, oh, I made a mistake. He had an indiscretion. He made a little faux pas. He really didn't mean to do that. He didn't know what he was doing. We are so whacked that we can't even tell the truth about ourselves. And all we do is strive to be more perfect and more perfect and more perfect. But until we see ourselves as who we are, until we see who we are, we will never see our need for the fix, which is grace. Until we see ourselves as a sinner, we won't see our need for a savior. The law shows us, I need help. That's what the law does. That's what our plans do. That's what all of our striving for perfection shows us is that I need help. How are we made right? If that is what we need, how are we made right? And Paul goes on to say this, Romans 3.22. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone. Just like no one can be made right with God by their own efforts, everyone who places their faith in Jesus Christ can be made right, no matter who you are, no matter what you do, by placing your faith in Jesus Christ. And who is Jesus? Jesus is God's grace made human on this earth for you. God's grace made human to take your sin, to take your inadequacy, to take your place on the cross. Jesus, the perfect, sinless Lamb of God, the Lion of Judah who fights our battles, the one who stood in your place and my place, who took our imperfection, our sin, and laid it on his own shoulders and paid the price once for all. Everyone, doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter what you did three minutes before you walked into this door today. It doesn't matter how many times you've fallen off the wagon. It doesn't matter how many times you have tried to correct that behavior and failed. It doesn't matter what kind of past you lived. It doesn't matter what you're thinking, you know, what those stinking, thinking thoughts are. It doesn't matter. None of that matters. He says everyone, 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 everyone who puts their faith in Jesus gets to receive God's grace. How are we made right with God? It's not Christ plus our schedules. It's not Christ plus all the plans I got in my head. It's not Christ plus writing the perfect computer code. It's Christ plus nothing, nothing. Jesus Christ alone. That's how we're made perfect. That's how we're made perfect. Come on. If we see the world through this perfectionist lens, it's all about what I do. It's all about my efforts. It's all about how can I be perfect? It's all about how can I get ahead? But if we see the world through grace, if we live in that grace, if we soak in that grace, it's all about what Jesus did. It's all about his work on the cross. 
It's all about God's love manifest in grace through Jesus Christ for us. If we see the world through the perfectionist lens, it's all about me. We are the center of everything we do. They tell me in my house, everybody lives in Chris world. Sometimes that's a little true. I'm guilty. We all are. But if we see the world through the lens of grace, it becomes all about Jesus. We have to realize that we can't do anything. If we see the world through the perfectionist lens, then uh, I, I come to this conclusion that if I'm perfect, God will love me. But if we see the world through the lens of grace, we can say this. Because God loves me, because his grace is offered to me, I can relax. I can stop, I can stop trying to be perfect. You can clap for that. If we see the world through this perfectionist lens, then we're always trying to win God's approval and the approval of the world, by the way, which you don't need that. But if we see it through grace, we can start to live from his approval because he says, if you put your faith in my son, Jesus Christ, if you take advantage of this grace that I'm offering you, if you live in my grace, then you're already approved. You're already approved because of God's grace through Jesus Christ. We are made perfect in his eyes. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 10 says this, but when this priest, this priest, by the way, is Jesus Christ. When this priest, when Jesus Christ had offered for all time, one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. You know what that means? When he sat down at the right hand of God, it means he's done. He's finished. All the work that needed to be done to make you perfect in God's eyes was already done in that one act. And yet we, in our strive for perfection, we just keep going over and over and over and over again. And guess what? It's never enough. It's never enough. It never works. It never works. And it says that uh, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. That means that he's going to come back one day. And then... It says, for by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. We strive for human perfection. We do. But it's already there. Through God's grace, through Jesus Christ, grace through Jesus takes the pressure off. Think about that. Think about how freeing that statement is. And if we can get that, if we can truly learn to live in God's grace, not just know about God's grace, but live in God's grace, it changes not just how we live, but how we think, how we act, how we interact with the world, and how we interact with God. And I pray that you just don't have a head understanding of that, because we all probably understand the concept of grace. We all probably understand that God's grace was made manifest in Jesus Christ, and we can say, yes, I know that. But I pray that this kind of goes deeper into your heart, that you just grab onto this, and, and, and it will change the way you live. And because that pressure is off, we can live differently. We can make different choices. One thing we can do is we can choose people over perfection. Choose people over perfection. Has, has your quest for perfection ever gotten in the way of a relationship? Yeah, it has for me. You wonder how many people get mad at me because of the way I am? There's probably a line standing out there right now. They're for me. I told you about the I Hate Chris Beatty fan club a couple of weeks ago. 
Happens all the time. Because we're too busy chasing what we think is the perfect solution, we tend to alienate people. But if we understand, if we understand that through God's grace, the pressure is off, we can choose intimacy. We can choose relationship. We can choose a depth of connection that we may not have ever had before. Instead of choosing to pursue perfection, Jesus tells a story that illustrates this point perfectly. He goes and visits his friends, Mary and Martha. This is in Luke chapter 10. And and this is, we're just going to pick it up here. I'm not going to say anymore. I'm just going to read. It says this, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. Jesus is visiting. What's Martha doing? She's trying to make everything perfect, right? She's trying to make everything perfect. She's like, oh, Jesus, I got to clean this. I got to dust this. I got to make the roast pig, and I got to do come over. Oh, we can't eat pig. That's not kosher. Oh, wait a minute. I got to, you know, I mean, this is what Martha's doing. Mary's just kind of relaxing, you know, soaking in Jesus. And Martha's running around trying to chase that perfection she is. And then she says, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work all by myself? So she's got a couple of these kind of perfectionists going on. She not only holds herself to a higher standard, but she expects her sister to be just as perfect as she is, right? She's got two of them, at least as far as we can tell. Tell her to help me. She's getting Jesus involved now. She's like, Jesus, I know you can just snap your fingers and Mary will get up and start doing stuff. So could you do that? But Jesus doesn't. He says, Martha, 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 Martha. You are worried and upset about so many things. But few things are needed. And indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better. And it will not be taken away from her. Mary chose people over perfection. Martha went the other way. Martha chose to fill her life with things and chasing this perfect image of whatever it is. And Jesus is like, that's not right. Don't be a Martha. Don't be a Martha. Through God's grace, through the freeing power of God's grace, we can always choose people over perfection. And I got to tell you, we learned this in a big way this past year at the church picnic because in previous years, and every, every year we've had a church picnic, it's always been hosted at my house. And, and we don't mind that at all. We love opening our home. We love opening our, you know, everything we got, what we got, my, mi casa, su casa. We don't care. But what you guys may not understand is that that's like a two-week-long preparation, right? And we got to make sure, I got to make sure all the outside's done, right? I take care of the outside. Susie takes care of the inside. So I'm making sure that all the hedges are trimmed, all the grass is good. Then, then the grass is good again. And when we had a dog, you got to make sure there's no landmines all around the place, right? You got to make sure that the porta potty gets delivered in the right time. Got to make sure all the cornhole things are laid out. And then she's taking care of the inside, cleaning everything, making sure there's no pee on the toilet seat, making sure the toilet seats are down, making sure the floors are clean, making sure the dog didn't mess up the floor after we cleaned it four times. And then by the time Saturday comes, you know, because we're hosting it, we don't get very much time to just be with people. We're so busy making sure that everybody feels welcome, making sure that everybody knows where it is. There's the bathroom. There's another one upstairs. Don't leave the door open. Make sure the door screen door is closed. We're so busy doing that that we don't get time to sit and fellowship with the people at the picnic. 
And this year, we had it at Downs Park. I'm never going back. Never, ever going. We will go back to Downs Park. That's not what I mean. We're never going back to hosting the church picnic because it was great. Everybody just brought what they brought. It didn't matter what it looked like. It didn't matter where we were. It was dirt and grass. You mess it up, you mess it up. It ain't our problem. Somebody else is going to come along and fix it afterwards. Clean up after yourselves. You're good. But we got time to sit and be with people. We got time to sit and have conversations and laugh and win a cornhole tournament. I mean, you know, I mean, that's important. That's important. We learned that in a big way. When we let go of our need to be perfect, we can focus on those relationships. We can focus on love. We can focus on grace. The other thing that it allows us to do when we, when we accept this grace that God has given us and live in that grace, make it heart knowledge and not head knowledge, is that we can choose perfect love over perfect performance. We said that, that perfectionism is just a covering for your deepest fears. A sinful way to cover sinfulness. So what is it that you fear? Is it rejection? Is it intimacy? Is it failure? It's a covering. A bad one. I I can tell you why I believe I am the way I am. And it has to do with growing up with my brother. My brother was three years older than me. Um, Kind of a pro-jock dude. Right? My brother... Whatever sport he tried to play, uh, he was good at, and he was really good at. He could hit baseballs. He could catch baseballs. He could play football. He could play soccer. I don't even know what else he tried to do, but he was always good at everything he did. He got on a skateboard. He was good at that. Me, as a boy, I wanted to be a pro jock, too. (laughs) But guess what? I wasn't. I wasn't. And so I kind of grew up in this shadow of trying to figure out ways to make myself be good at something. And I found a few things, and some of them I fabricated. It's what we do. But grace takes the pressure off, folks. Grace takes the pressure off. And when that pressure's off, and we realize we don't have to, in our own power, continue to strive to be perfect, we can choose love over performance. We can choose people over perfection. We can live in God's grace. I know you're probably thinking, didn't you start off telling me I was supposed to be perfect? You mean we don't have to be perfect? But Jesus said we're supposed to be perfect. It was right there in God's word. Jesus said, be perfect just as your heavenly father is perfect. And I did that on purpose. Because we make this mistake so often of looking to scripture for an answer to a problem. And we look at this much of it. And I will quote a good friend of mine who says, Scripture without context is only pretext. Scripture without context is only a way to make an excuse or a justification for some behavior that you want. So I purposely took that verse out of its context in Matthew's Sermon on the Mount. But now I want to read the whole thing. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 says, You have heard, this is Jesus talking, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven, because he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. 
And if you love those who love you, you could also say, if you only love those who love you, what, we will, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than anybody else? Don't the pagans do that? And then he says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. Jesus is not talking about behavior or performance. Jesus is talking about love. The one thing God above all things is perfect at is love. God is love. And he says, you can be perfect just as your father is perfect in love. It's from a word uh, in the Greek word, the word is teleos. And it doesn't mean to be without sin. It means to be complete. In fact, it, it is the same word that Jesus uttered on the cross. It's the same root word that Jesus uttered on the cross, meaning it is finished. His work was finished. Doesn't mean to be without sin. It means to be mature and complete. Like, you know, you, an eight year old is not fully grown, uh, not mature, but a 24 year old man is probably fully grown, but probably not fully mature. And then by the time you get to be like 40 or 50, hopefully you're mature. Some of us. I'm not picking out anybody here. That's up to you. This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, in your walk with Jesus, strive to be perfect in love in the same way that God is perfect in love. And guess what? You cannot be perfect in love if you are trying to be so busy being perfect in everything else because we ignore the people around us. Be perfect, he says. Fulfill your perfect purpose. And that is quite plain, Jesus says. Love God. Love people. Love God, love people. And if we think about perfect love, God's perfect love for us, for you, was shown in his perfect grace when he sent Jesus to stand in your place so that you could be made perfect. And I joke all the time that I am a recovering control freak. And I got to tell you that I didn't fully get the depth of God's grace until maybe four or five years ago. I knew about it. I understood it. But I never really let it soak in and live in my heart. And that's the only thing that has kind of helped me be able to give up control of things. Knowing that I don't have to strive to be perfect. Whether I am perfect in painting a wall or spackling or building a kid's wing doesn't matter in God's eyes. He's already made me perfect. I'm not here to please other people. Grace is the antidote for perfectionism. Think about that. God's grace. If we live in God's grace, and that means not only accepting God's grace, but showing God's grace to the world and accepting God's grace from other people in this world. It's not just vertical. It's horizontal as well. God's grace comes this way, and then God's grace should go this way. Grace is the antidote for perfectionism because perfection is performance-based. Grace is free, and it's not just free. But there isn't one amount of effort in your pursuit of perfection that can ever earn it, that can ever buy it, that can ever make it more potent than it really is. It's already there. It's already free. God's love poured out for you, his grace shown in Jesus Christ, is the antidote for any 
thing in this world we think we need to chase and be perfect at. Our calling, our calling is not to show the world how good we are. Our calling is to show the world how good God is. That's what we're called to do. That's what we're called to do. How good is he? He loves you. How good is he? He showed his grace through Jesus Christ. How good is he? He sent a part of himself to pay the price because he knew we couldn't do it. He knew that no matter what we did, we were going to try to be good enough and try to be good enough and try to be perfect and try to be perfect, and we were always going to fail because that is the only thing that we can do. We can never be perfect enough for God, but his grace says you're perfect. His grace says you're made right. His grace says you are redeemed. His grace says you are made new. That's how good he is. That's how good he is. When kids fall down, when our kids fall down, we don't, we don't like stand them up and say, I taught you how to walk once already. You should have been knowing better. I mean, one foot in front of the other. It's not really that hard, is it? We don't do that. We hug them. We cheer them on. We say, uh, you got this. You can do it. You can do it. You can do it. This is what God does for us every day. Every day, his grace is shown to us. It's not just a one-time thing. And this is what I mean by live in God's grace. It's not just a one-time transaction where we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. We accept his grace. And then we go on about our business and we forget all about it. And we start trying to be perfect again. We have to live in his grace every day. And when we're in this kind of perfectionism mindset and we're trying to prove ourselves to the world, God's grace says, I've already proven you. You're already enough. When we try to strive for the best, strive for perfection, keep working, keep working until we're just run ragged and we're alienating all the people. God says, you don't have to do that. Rest, relax. My grace has already covered you. When we fail and we will fail, his grace says, it's okay. I knew that was going to happen. And my grace is sufficient for you. When we feel less than, when we feel like a failure, when that tries to motivate us to be even more perfect in this worldly way, through God's grace, he wraps his hands around your face and he says, my child, you have been fearfully and wonderfully made just the way you're supposed to be. You are good enough. You are already perfect. His grace says that when you stand next to Jesus and God looks at both of you, you look exactly the same to him. Think about that. Think about that. You look just like Jesus, sinless, spotless, redeemed, free. That's what God's grace does. Every day, every day, every day, he has new mercies for you. Every day, his grace is making you perfect. Every day, his grace is working. And when we can soak this in, when we can live in God's Grace, we have the ability to choose people over perfection. We have the ability to choose perfect love over perfect performance. And we have the ability to stop pursuing the world's idea of perfection and live in his grace. Are you tired of chasing perfection? Are you tired of trying to always be perfect to the world maybe you've never experienced God's grace in your life maybe you've never experienced the
power of a relationship with Jesus Christ. But his grace is calling you right now. His love is calling you right now. He says, you don't have to try. You don't have to keep trying anymore. You don't have to keep running yourself ragged. You don't have to keep striving for perfection. I've already paid the price. I've already done it. Jesus died once for all on the cross to cover everybody's sin, eternity past and eternity future, and that includes you. And if you've never, ever accepted God's gift of grace through Jesus Christ, I'm going to ask you to do that today. I'm going to ask you to do that. We're going to pray together with all heads bowed. And if you want to be made perfect, where you are no more a victim of the sin that we all have in our lives, that requires us to ask Jesus to be our Lord and Savior and to surrender our lives to him. And so with all heads bowed, we'll pray this way. Jesus, I believe you are the Savior and Lord of this world. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross as payment for my sin. Jesus, I believe you rose on the third day, defeating my spiritual separation from God. Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I surrender. Thank you, Jesus. And Father God, thank you. Thank you first for anybody who has made a decision to accept your grace and stop trying to be perfect because you already make us perfect. But thank you most of all for grace in the first place, for your unfailing, unending love manifest through Jesus Christ as grace to us, to anyone who wants to accept it. Because, God, we're all lost without you. We are all sinners without you. Thank you for your grace, God. Help us all, old Christian, new Christian, two-minute new Christian, to just let this message filter down to our heart so that we can live in your grace every day. And understand that we don't have to strive anymore. Because your grace has already done it. Finally, God, we ask that you keep everybody here healthy and safe until we meet again. And we pray all this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. And together as a church, we'll all say amen. If you're at home, type amen. If you have made a decision to follow Jesus today. We would love to know about that. If you're at home, you can follow the link on your screen. If you're here, you can put it on the back of a card, or you can just come talk to me after service. Uh, We would love to pray with you. We would love to help you get involved with a Bible-believing church, whether that's this church or another church. Um, And uh, if you have any other prayer concerns, please let us know. I'll be available. There'll be some people from the team who can be available to pray with you. I love you guys, and I'll see you next time.